Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Give me courage to lead in the right way and to do the right things. Lord God, help me always to remember that you go before me and you will be with me. You will never leave me nor forsake me. Help me to know I need never to be afraid. I do not need to be discouraged even in the face of what seems dangerous or risky. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, <clears throat> the first reading has been from uh, the book of uh, Samuel for the last couple of days. It's a very um, powerful story about David versus Goliath. We, we all know this story. You know, this, it's actually become a metaphor for, you know, when you're going up against a giant, you know, you have to trust in God. And so let's look at this a little bit because David was very different than everybody else. In fact, when God chose him to be king and sent uh, sent Samuel to anoint him, you know, he wasn't even considered by his family. <laughs> his father brought out the big, strong, strapping young men and left David to tend the sheep in the field. But that was precisely the one God wanted. So let's let's look a little bit into this today. This is from 1 Samuel 17. David spoke to Saul, let your majesty not lose courage. I am at your service to go and fight this Philistine. But Saul answered David, you cannot go up against this Philistine and fight with him, for you are only a youth. Well, he has been a warrior from his youth. David continued, the Lord who delivered me from the claws of the lion and the bear will also keep me safe from the clutches of this Philistine. Saul answered David, go, the Lord will be with you. Then, staff in hand, David selected five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pocket of his shepherd's bag. With his sling also ready to hand, he approached the Philistine. With his shield bearer marching before him, the Philistine also advanced closer and closer to David. When he had sized David up and seen that he was youthful and ruddy and handsome in appearance, the Philistine held David in contempt. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come against me with a staff? Then the Philistine cursed David by his gods and said to him, Come here to me and I will leave your flesh for the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David answered him, You, can, you come against me with a sword and spear and scimitar, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel that you have insulted. Today the Lord will shall deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will leave your corpse and the corpses of the Philistine army for the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Thus the whole land shall learn that Israel has a God. All this multitude too shall learn that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he shall deliver you into our hands. The Philistine then moved to meet David at close quarters, while David ran quickly toward the battle line in the direction of the Philistine. David put his hand into the bag and took out a stone, 
hurling it with the sling and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone embedded itself in his brow, and he fell prostrate on the ground. Thus David overcame the Philistine with sling and stone. He struck the Philistine mortally and did it without a sword. Then David ran and stood over him. With the Philistine's own sword, which he drew from its sheath, he dispatched him and cut off his head. Well, there you have the story. This Philistine is uh, quite a piece of work. First, he curses at David, then tells him he's going to feed his flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So this giant of a man, and he was a giant, is just filled with pride and contempt. And uh, as it turns out, this would be his last day on the planet Earth. And that would be the last thing he uttered from his mouth was the lies that he had just spewed. So let's talk about uh, David for a minute. Uh, you know, a lot of people, whenever I'm talking with other theologians and priests about this story, not, not more than one. I mean, several priests have said, you know, well, you know, David was very courageous, but on the other hand, it, what, you know, he did pick up five stones, not one. If he really trusted in the Lord, he would have just picked up one stone. That, uh, I don't like that argument at all. Um, and, uh, you know, the more I've looked into it, if you go to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 21, there's a little bit of a hint in there. And this is what it says. It says, and there was war in Gath again. There was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he also had been born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So, the giant that uh, David just killed had four re relatives with him, four other giants. And, you know, the, these, are, these were big, big men, you know, nine feet tall. So when you killed somebody in a clan or a family like that, the, the, typically the clan comes after you to kill you. So David, I think, was anticipating the other four brothers or whatever they were, sons, to come after him. So he had the five stones. Just one explanation. Who knows? But we do know that uh, God did have a very special place for David in his heart. He captured God, God's heart, you know. And so it would be good to look at David uh, and, and his personality and his, his, the essence of who he is. You know, God looks at the heart, not the appearance. But first, what can we learn from <clears throat> David and Goliath? Well, we have to be uh, people of courage and be bigger than our fears. You know, it's important to be bigger than the fears that come against us. And if you look at the story, you know, twice a day for 40 days, Goliath was challenging the Israelites, demanding a one-on-one -on -one battle. And every single Israelite was terrified, terrified of going up against this man. None of them would dare challenge Goliath. But 
After David heard about there was a reward for defeating Goliath, he accepted the challenge as if it were nothing but a child's game, you know, for him. He even put on all that armor and said, this isn't going to work. I don't need this armor. It's too, it's too cumbersome for me. So Goliath comes at him. He's got armor. He's got a javelin. Uh, David just has a staff, a sling, and there's five stones. And not to mention, he's like the size of a child compared to this big beast of a man. But that didn't stop him. Uh, so just as the battle begins, he pulls out his sling, he throws the stone at the giant and nails him right in the middle of his forehead and kills him. Now, if that happened to be any of the other people around him, they would have ran in the other direction and back down because the Israelites were much, much smaller uh, than their fears. David happened to be bigger than his fears. So the question to all of us is, you know, uh, if you're letting your fears overwhelm you, you'll be enslaved by those fears forever. No matter what situation you're in or what decision you need to make. And if you look at things logically and you look at the facts, you have to get out of your head and take action immediately to overcome the fear. Thinking about the fear does not overcome the fear. Action overcomes the fear. You know, I remember when uh, Father Tom, my friend up in Boston, used to tell me that he was terrified of public speaking. Um, so when he was in seminary taking homiletics, he, he would literally have an anxiety attack waiting for his turn to give his sample homily. And he would start sweating and getting all clammy and his mouth would dry up. He, he couldn't, you know, couldn't even speak. And he finally uh, got up and uh, the teacher could see he was very nervous. And he, I think the teacher said something to like, what, is there something, is this, is this a terrifying thing for you? And, and he said, it is. And basically the priest was like, well, what, what's the worst thing that could happen? And uh, Father Tom said, well, I guess I could pass out and fall down and uh, make a fool of myself. And Basically, the priest was like, well, if, if that happens, you'll just get back up and, and you'll begin again. It'll be fine. And of course, he didn't pass out and he didn't fall down. And he went on and, and he's quite a prolific preacher and has been his whole life. Uh, so God overcame the fear the minute he stepped into the challenge. It was when he got up to do the homily that he had to confront the fear and realize that it was really all in his head. There was nothing to be afraid of. But these sorts of things can be uh, very scary, you know, the first time you do them. Um, I remember when I was a kid, we had this, you know, in our, our, our uh, community pool in our town, there was a couple of diving boards and then there was this high, high platform you could climb up to and jump into the pool, which when you're a kid, it seems like it's like 50 stories up, you know, but it really was probably like 10 or 15 feet. But uh, it it really took a, a lot of guts to jump off that platform into the pool uh, because it looks, when you're up there, it actually looks much, much further down than when you're on the ground. It's a strange thing, but that's how it, it, that's how it appears. But the minute you do it, then you and all the other kids want to run back up and keep going off of it. You know, it becomes now a game. It's no longer frightening. It's a game. And that's, that can be 
really the case with most things in life. You know, once you once you attempt them, and even if you fail, you know, failing also will help conquer the fear because you're like, well, you know what? I'm still alive. It didn't kill me. That old phrase actually has some truth to it. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh, second, what else can we take away from this? You know, you have to realize in God's eyes that size does not matter. You know, continually the Israelites were going against these foreign nations that surrounded them. And their army sometimes was a fraction of the enemy's army. You know, they might have had maybe 500 men, then the enemy has 5,000. But it's God that's winning the battle. You know, even in Jericho, uh, they didn't have to do a single thing. They just started screaming and blowing the, their, their horns and the walls just fell down. So uh, challenges are, is, are, are, are challenges are challenges, whether they're big or small. You shouldn't be looking at the size uh, because to God, it's irrelevant. If he's calling you to do something, he will equip you to do it, and you shouldn't worry about the size of the, uh, the problem or the challenge. The only thing really that's going to determine what's possible for you is uh, your mindset and your trust in God and God's action in your life. So if David were just looking merely at... Uh, you know, the size of the giant versus him, he, you know, he might walk away, but he knew the God, the one true God was with him. And I say it all the time, God plus you equals victory. Every time God plus you equals victory. If you're letting God uh, lead the battle, you're going to be fine. Uh, third, I would say, you know, we have to make use of what we already have. Often people complain about what they don't have. Uh, why not having what they don't have is, is the problem in their life. And there's that one thing they need before they can get started. Or that not having that thing is holding them back. But the truth is, um, oftentimes God will just use you right where you are and begin whatever he's trying to do with what you've already been given. Make use of what you've already been given. You know, uh, compared to the armor and the weapons that the giant had, David seemed quite insignificant. He only had a sling and five stones and a staff. Uh, so stop making excuses. You know, just say, you know, look at the Blessed Mother, which she's always the perfect example. So Gabriel appears and says, you're going to be uh, the mother of, of the Son of God. Uh, the Messiah is going to be born of you. And she just says, how can this be? Because I'm a consecrated virgin, basically, since I was a child. And I know that's what God wanted of me. She knew it. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And she goes, let it be done according to your word. She doesn't say like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have to get ready. I'm going to need a bigger home. I'm going to need a maid. I'm going to need a cook. I'm going to need a nanny probably a bigger house. Um, yeah, I'm going to need all these things. No, she says, let it be done according to your word. Because she knows all the heavy lifting is going to be on God's part. She just has to be available. And of course she is. She, she knew what she had to do. Uh, just say yes. And God will do the rest. So, just really take that to heart. You know, 
whatever you need to, to accomplish something, God's going to give it to you. But you can start the moment he asks you to do it. And then you have to believe it's possible. Faith is so critical in the life of the Christian because the Bible tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. And that's something. It's impossible to please God without faith. And uh, when we see Jesus, who is God himself, God incarnate, moving through these towns and he can't do many miracles in the places where there's no faith. Isn't that interesting? So when he finds great faith, he marvels at it. And uh, twice uh, he encounters a faith that is uh, so alarming to him, once on, on the positive and once on the negative. You know, but on the positive side, uh, it was, it was, they weren't even Jews. That was the interesting thing. I think he said, never have, before have they seen such faith as in this man, like the, uh, the centurion. And he's saying that in front of his friends, the apostles, you know, that Peter has to be thinking, wow, I mean, he knows me. I guess I'm included in that statement. I, I don't have the faith of this pagan centurion. Wow, that's, uh, that's pretty big. So we have to have this great faith now, let's look uh, a little bit directly at David himself. The word David actually means beloved. I don't know if you've known that, but it means beloved. Uh, and he is a uh, prominent figure in the scriptures. You know, the Psalms were written by David, and they're probably the largest book in the Bible. Uh but you must know, um, he's sort of a fitting type of Christ. They were both born in Bethlehem, him and Jesus. Both were anointed, both were shepherds, and both were kings. But not everybody loved him. He was hated by his own father-in-law, King Saul. And, uh, and also Saul's friends and uh, his loyalists also hated David. So God's favor on David provoked jealousy and envy and basically put a bullseye on David's back. But again, David had enough uh, wherewithal to know that if God is for him, then nobody's going to conquer him. So it doesn't matter who your enemy is if God's got your back. And the anointing doesn't exempt us from trouble, you know. Our baptism isn't going to exempt us from trouble. Look at Jesus. He, he had a whole lot of trouble, um, not just in the end of his life, but rather at the very beginning they were trying to kill him. So since a fresh anointing is needed to face new assignments, David was anointed on three separate occasions. So we just, uh, we just encountered the story of him being anointed as a young boy uh, earlier in this week or last week uh, in Bethlehem, but then he's also anointed as king over Judah when he's 27, and then king over all of Israel when he's 30. So he was anointed three times. And again, let's look at the description of him uh, that we have from the first uh, Samuel. It describes um, 
him as the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. Now, he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a good appearance. And uh, ruddy's an odd word for us. We don't really use that word uh, in our culture. But it's the same word uh, rendered red in Genesis 25, describing Esau. And it means sort of a reddish uh, complexion or hair. So think of somebody who, you know, very fair-skinned. Uh, and it would mean very healthy looking, you know, in contrast to somebody who would be very um, pale and sickly looking. Um, So we discover a few more details when we get into 1 Samuel 16. Uh, David was experienced in playing a musical instrument. So he's a skilled musician. He's a mighty man of valor. So that means he was brave. And a man of battle, he's a fierce fighter. He was skillful in words and had good judgment. He's a man of uh, fine appearance, meaning he was handsome. And the Lord was with him. So David is kind of the real deal. He's the, you'd say, the total package of um, somebody that was desirable. He's talented, great personality, good looks, anointed, pure-hearted, and he has the favor of God. So this this is like a prize for this guy. And you could you could imagine many of the women of his uh, towns and region would want to would want to marry him. So when you look at his job descriptions of some of the things he was doing or he's done, uh, just try to take this in for a minute. So he was a shepherd. He was a singer. He's a songwriter. He's a poet. He's a musician an armor bearer, a giant killer, he's a national hero, a captain, a king's son-in-law, fugitive, king, prophet, worshipful, warrior, adulterer, murderer, uh, the psalmist of Israel. I mean, quite a resume, and not all of it great. Um, and you could say a deceiver, because he tried to trick uh, Bathsheba's husband into sleeping with her. But um, the thing that gets him into trouble is sort of his accomplishments, you could, you could kind of say. Because in, in today's first reading, if you went to Mass, it said, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. So the king hears this and the king is immediately very jealous of David and says all he needs now is the kingship, meaning he's worried about his own job. Uh, so like if David... <laughs> If David were around today, he would be uh, trending on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook because everybody would be talking about him. This is what was happening back then. They didn't have our devices. They would be word of mouth that would be spreading like wildfire. So uh, you could say just as quickly as David became the most famous person in the land, He also made kind of the top 10 most wanted list because Saul wants him dead and puts a bounty on his head. So life wasn't all easy for David, you know, Uh, but he again, he went through each day trusting in God's favor on his life. And. uh, What else can we say? He's a true worshiper of God, too. Um, There's a point when he's bringing the ark back to, to uh, 
back home from the countryside and he's dancing before the ark and praising God and singing and so much so that it embarrasses his wife. She doesn't like it. She thinks he's not uh, behaving in a way that's fit for a king. So, you know, he had his share of critics right down to his own wife. His father-in-law, I mean, many people were, you know, big critics of, of the things he was doing. But it didn't dissuade him from doing what he was supposed to be doing. I mean, he had made big mistakes, but he always came back to the Lord with true contrition and a heavy heart and would always ask to be uh, restored to the grace of God. You know, and I think that's another big lesson for all of us. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall down. We're going to sin. Uh, hopefully not big sins, but it happens. Sometimes you just get caught up and... Uh, and you, and you say something or do something you shouldn't have. We have to rush back to God, just like David does. Rush back to God and uh, repent of what we've done wrong and ask for his pardon and his mercy. That's the great thing about God. He'll always extend his pardon and mercy to a truly contrite heart. And he wants to lift us up. This is a father. You know, this is the best of fathers who always wants the best for his children. Never forget that. Never forget that. So that's about it for david and what we can take away from him today um i'll be tomorrow's friday ask the exorcist we're going to have questions from the instagram account where we posted a question if you want to ask the exorcist leave leave a message here we got it probably about 50 to 100 responses already we're going to get to those tomorrow so uh, father dan rehill uh on instagram if you want to click that and leave a question May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan, signing out.